All right, we are finally out of chapter 11 into chapter 12. And we will get a couple of the verses done here, done here tonight. But we start this one off as we're up there on Facebook, gave you a little intro that um, in this particular verse, which is a very well-known verse to most people, that uh, he tells us to run the race, and the word that is used is never translated race, does not mean race. And so, the question I feel out there is, uh, you know, we have four different words for love, five actually if you go outside the Bible. you got three different words for life, and in fact, in this in this uh, passage here, we're going to find out there are nine different words for great. And yet, for the word race, we have none. But that's how it's translated here. We're going to show you why it's translated like that and what it means, what the word actually means by itself. So Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and of course there's all those folks we listed there in chapter 11, and of course there were others. They didn't try and name all of them. He gave some <clears throat> categories of acts of faith that people did. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and that word there for great, as we, t- as we mentioned to you, there are nine different words. If you go to the Vines Expository Dictionary and you look up the word great, you're going to find that there are nine different words great is translated from. Some of them mean great as in stature, as in importance, Some mean great as in number. Um, Just all kinds of different types of greats that are there. We're not going to get into all that. What it's talking about here, in this particular one, is great in in quantity, amount, number, or space. And so when it says that we are surrounded by a great cloud, that we're, we're speaking here of the quantity, the amount, or the number, or the space that they take up. So... This is this great cloud of witnesses, people that have gone on before us. He's described some of them, but these are the people that surround us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So as we were looking at these these lists of faith, as we, and we spent time looking at each one, more so than the, the writer here in Hebrews did, but it seemed to be worthwhile for us to do that. We saw for each of these individuals, they had things in their life that they could have considered before their faith. Abraham could have considered his body. Sarah as well. They had other things that they could have considered. The people who are facing death could have faced, could have decided to consider the pain that they would have endured or the loss of life or the, the things they would leave here in this life. But they didn't. They didn't consider all these things. So he's saying we had this great cloud of witnesses who went on before us and because they had gone on before us, because they lived their life this way, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, of course, the witnesses, these are saints who had gone on before us. And he says here, lay aside. This is a compound word that means to put away or to cast cast off. Now, I want to give you a picture of this word. We've got to use food again for this. We just got through Thanksgiving. We have Christmas feast coming on up. 
And can you picture something on the table for which was a great temptation for you to take more? Uh, for some people, maybe it was the turkey and the gravy or the ham or the mashed potatoes or whatever it might be. But can you think of something on the table? Maybe when the pumpkin pie or the apple pie came by and you had some of it, but then it was a great temptation to have more. And then, and then more. You just couldn't, you just couldn't seem to get enough of whatever that was that, that was there. I mean, we all have certain things that we really, really like, and some of them are not bad for you, but you just don't want to eat so much that you <laughs> you you, uh, you sacrifice things later on. So we want to be able to to consider those things and to be able to to put them away. So what this is talking about is you have that dish that oh, it just calls to you. It's just saying, come and get me. You know you want some more. And you, you say, I know I want some more, but I should not have any more of that. I need to, to, to put this away. So when it says lay aside, what it's talking about is that you take that particular plate, you set it down, and you push it out of the way. In fact, you may even tell somebody at the table, will you put this on the other side so that I can't get to it? Get this away from me. I, if it's here, I'm going to take part of it. But I want you to put this aside. So when it's saying the, using the word here, lay aside, it is actually using a word that means to lay it down and push it out of reach. To get it away from you. That's what it's talking about when it uses this word. So he says, lay aside every weight. Every weight. Now weights are things that hold you back. Weights are things that, that slow you down. And the uh, the metaphor he's using here is to run a, a race. And so when you think about weights, and not everybody who doesn't um, you know, do this doesn't know all the things that are involved in, in that, but, you know, uh, people, not me, I, I didn't bother with this, but there are people out there who would pay dearly to be able to shed one or two ounces from their shoes. No, I didn't do that. I watched, you know, even when I was on cross country in college, I'd see some of these guys, they get these racing flats. And racing flats are lighter. And I tried them. But when you're running racing flats, you feel the road. And the shock just comes right up through your body. I didn't like it. So I didn't care to save one or two ounces. Give me the shoe that makes the, the run comfortable. And so that's what I, I still hold to that today. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care if it's 10 ounces, 12 ounces, or, or what it, what the ounces are on the thing. Just, um, you know, we're going to go. But some people, they cared about every single uh, weight that was there. And you know, their their performance, I guess, maybe uh, was was helped by by that. I didn't um, I didn't care so much about that. I just I wanted my legs and knees and and everything to be comfortable along the along the whole stretch there. But you could do that. There are some people they would even care about how much their shorts weighed and how much their 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 singlet weighed. And can we get lighter materials for all these particular things to to have that? And <laughs> and uh, I never went around weighing the the pair of shorts or the or the short sleeve shirt that I had, or I didn't care if we had a singlet or a short sleeve shirt to, to save an ounce or, or two. I just went on out there and, and do it. But this is what he's talking about. He says, you need to be concerned about what you're carrying around. Because some of us are carrying around too much weight. There's a weight that is slowing us down. It's keeping us from going on at the, at the right pace, at the, at the way that we ought to go. And if it doesn't make sense to you, you know, in the area of clothing, 
in a in a race. Think of it this way: uh, in your in your vehicle, how many of you have ever hauled something heavy? Now you don't have to have a truck to haul something. You can just have things in the in the trunk of your car, and you just pile up with stuff. And if it gets heavy, well, you can tell that the car is having a hard time getting up some of the hills or going someplace. Or when you hit some bumps, the, it all kind of gets um, messed up a little bit in there. It doesn't uh, doesn't like that so much. You know, I know with even a truck, you can load that thing down enough that when you are breaking it, oh man, you gotta you gotta give yourself some extra space. You can't just uh, stop the way that you normally would. You've got to ease into that because that's a whole lot of weight that you've got going 60 miles an hour. So he's talking about the weight that we have, that this stuff weighs us down. And in particular, he's talking about sins, that there are some sins that we pick up and these sins act as weights for us so that we're, we're running, but we're not doing as well as we could be doing otherwise. We surely could be doing a whole lot better. But we're not because we have these things holding us down. So let's read the verse again. We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Every one. It doesn't say carry around one or two. One or two aren't going to bother, bother you. No, he says every weight. If it's a sin, it's a weight. It's going to slow you down. And you need to be concerned with getting rid of them. I need to get every weight because I am going to run a better race if I don't have that weight, if I'm not carrying those things. So here's another example for you. Say that you have to get someplace quickly and you've got your pockets full of stuff. Well, it's a little harder to run or to move fast when you've got your pockets full of stuff. That uh, makes it a little bit more difficult. Or, you know, if you're a lady and you have a purse, if that purse is heavily uh, filled with all sorts of things, that's going to slow you on down. So think of it in those ways. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now there are some sins that ensnare some people easier than others. There are some sins that you say, how do people even get, or how are they even bothered by that? Why is that even a temptation? Whereas other people, you know, oh boy, I tell you, I just every time I see that, mm, just tries to pull me on in. Just like some foods, you know, we heard Thanksgiving, some people were talking about that red stuff that you have, that cranberry. That is not a temptation to me. That is not. You could put that in front of me. I could be starving for three days and I still would not eat that stuff. No way. I don't care what it is. <laughs> to me, it is gross and disgusting. And I remember having it when we were kids and we had to eat some. I don't know why, but we all had to have some of it. And oh man, it was, it was tough to get down. And when I grew up and I made my decisions as what was going to be, <laughs> that was never a part. If you come over to our house for Thanksgiving, you will not see cranberry sauce or whatever that is. It is not there. Now, if you want some and you come on over, my wife might probably go out there and get you some, but, uh, it will not be a temptation to me. I don't, uh, I don't get bothered by that at all. Now, there are other things that are, uh, that pulled me, y'all know guacamole, that'll pull me in every single, every single time. My wife will look at that and she'll take it or leave it. You know, some people look at that and say, oh, that is gross, that is disgusting. And I mean, it's really good for you, so I'm not sure what pulls me into this thing, but I'll tell you, guacamole is just one of those things I can just eat, eat that. I'm going out to a restaurant, sometime I'm out uh, delivering uh, bunk beds, and if I find a Mexican restaurant, because my appetite for Mexican food is far higher than most of the people in my family. And so if I can get some of it out of my system, I just find one. And, <laughs> and so generally I'll order the appetizer 
of the guacamole, which is made for four, five, six people. And I take care of that before the meal comes. Because it's just, mm, it is good. But uh, it's good for you too. But of course, we, anything that's good for you, you don't want to be doing too much of it. And sometimes you just got to push it away and so forth. But there's a sin which so easily ensnares us. It's different for everybody. What ensnares you is not the same thing as ensnares someone else. For some people, uh, drinking is a real temptation. For other people, they can't stand alcohol. It's not a temptation. Just because it's a sin doesn't mean that it's going to tempt you. But there are some sins that easily ensnare us. So some people, some Christians, you know, they go out there and they, and they make sure that their language is right and they make sure that they don't drink or smoke and they take care of all these external things. But then they deal with anger issues. And they're always getting mad at people. And well, that's, that's wrong too. And it's one of those sins that easily ensnares them. Some people have a, have a problem with believing the best in others. And they instantly believe the worst. And that's a sin that easily ensnares them. And you have to defend against it. Whatever the sin is that pulls you in, this is what he's talking about. Because there are some sins that seem to get us and to be able to pull us in. But he says, no, you need to look at this. And he, he is looking, he is using the metaphor of a race. We're all going to show you why he's, he's using this, even though the word does not mean race. This is what he's using. He's, used, he's, he's look, looking at an athlete who is focused on this race and they're going to best this thing. They're going to dominate this thing. They're going to win this thing. And they're out there to make sure that everything that could slow them down is taken off. Now, God's not going to do it for us. We have to do it. Because he says, let us lay aside every weight. Take that thing and push it away. Get it out of reach. I don't want to, I don't want to have that. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now we'll get into that word here, endurance, in just a minute. Let's take a look at the, well, I guess we're now, we'll, we'll keep on going on right, the same order we've been going. He says, let us run with endurance. He uses this word twice in the verses we're looking here. And this word means cheerful or hopeful endurance, enduring patience or patient continuance. Not the first time we've taken a look at this, uh, this particular word. But it's let us run with endurance. Don't just run the race. Run the race with endurance. Now it's a compound word. Greek is, com- is very famous for the compound words. Uh, the first part, upo, means to be under. And meno means uh, that which means to abide or to stay in one spot. So it means to be under and then to abide or to stay in one spot. So you are under pressure, but you've made a decision not to leave the, the place that you are. It describes the attitude of a person who, though they are under a heavy, a heavy, heavy load, they've decided to stay put and to stand firm. And whatever it might be. That's what the, that endurance is, is talking about. Now he goes on here, talks about the race. This word for race, and you can see it in your, your notes there, and you can probably see what we get from it. The word is agona. We get our word agony. 
That's what we get from it. Now, if we take the English word agony from this particular word, why in the world does it mean race here? Now, I think I put in your outline some of the, and that's not a definition of the word. Those are the words that it's translated as. And I couldn't find all of those words in the translations that I was looking at, but somehow, somewhere they're there. A contest, a conflict, contention, fight, or race. It is most often, often translated a struggle or to, to struggle or to wrestle. To struggle or to wrestle. So how in the world is wrestling connected with a race? It's simply this. It's talking about a contest, a conflict, a contention, but he uses the word run, which qualifies this to be a race. He says, let us run with endurance the contest that is set before us. So if you are going to run a contest or a contention or a fight or a struggle, what do you, what would you call it? It's going to be a race. So that's why they translated it race. I don't think it's a bad translation. I don't think it's a wrong translation. It's just that that word, I was just amazed. I actually did a search. What word would you use in Greek for race? And this is the word that comes up. <laughs> this is the only one I could find that came up. So... Uh, it didn't seem like they had one specifically for race. But I went through and I looked at some of the other places where this word is used. In fact, I pulled out all the places where this word is used. In Philippians 1 verse 30, having the same conflict, that word conflict is our word here, agona, which you saw in me and now here is in me. Colossians 2 and verse 1, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. First Thessalonians 2 and verse 2. But even after we have suffered before and were spitefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our, uh, in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. In First Timothy 6 and verse 12. Now here, these next two verses are interesting because we're going to see this word used and another form of it used. He says, fight the good fight of faith. So here we have one form of it used being in fight and another form, uh, fight the good fight of faith. There, it's similar in the word, but one is one form. I forget which one. One's a noun, one's a verb. It's, it's that type of a deal. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and I confess the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Second Timothy 4 and verse 7, I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So here's the places where this word is used. And you can see no place do we have anything that even resembles race. The only reason that we have race is because of that word run. That we are running in a conflict. We are running in a contest. We're running in a fight. So the word is translated race here simply because of the word run. So he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now he talks about a race that is set before us. Whenever you have a race, one of the first things that they do is they will go around and they mark the race. They mark it out. This is where you turn here. If you've ever seen a race laid out, 
if you've ever run a race or done a, one of the walks, they'll have cones. This is where you turn. They may have uh, uh, marks. I saw one place they actually took decals and they put them on the road so they could peel them up afterwards. But you have all these things that you that are there for you so that you mark it. And then they measure the race. They measure it all out. And if if I was them, I would probably just take you know your car and drive one around and and and. But that, I've watched a few of them do it. I don't know if they do it all the time, but they actually take a big old wheel and they walk it around. And then they mark when they get to a spot. This is the one mile mark. And then they keep on going. This is the two mile mark. And this is the three mile mark. Because when you're going on through, you want to hear your times and and. Uh, you know, some people care about that. Other people, they just want to finish. <laughs> they don't care what the time is as long as I get there and I and I get finished. But other people, you know, that I want to be through the first mile here at a certain time and second mile by by a certain time in order for me to get to the finish line by this certain time. And they get concerned about that. But the whole thing is laid out. So everybody who is running this race is running the exact same thing. They're going to face the same hills. They're going to face the same obstacles. Whatever it is, that's what you're going to do. Now, most of the time you run in a race around here, it's done on nice little roads. You run on the roads. Now, when we ran in college, we didn't run on roads. Maybe for a little bit you might run on the road. But most of the time you're running on trails. It was cross country. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't road races. And so I remember one was a really bad one. We ran on a dried up creek bed. I remember running it. And I'm thinking, why are we running here? On this dried up creek bed. Now, on dried up creek bed, we're talking big old rocks. And I'm thinking someone is going to get hurt. No one did. But I was thinking that someone is going to get hurt <laughs> running on this. We could be running right on up there. And I saw it. We could run right up there. It goes the same path. And we don't have to run on this dried up creek bed. But we sure enough were running on that dried up creek bed for a little while. It was just kind of ridiculous. <clears throat> but anyway, we all had to face the same obstacle. You all had to face the same hills. Everyone had the exact same thing. And it was laid out. This is what it is. This is where it is that you're going. Now you may remember I told a story. I don't tell it all that often, but it's kind of a fun story. My first year in cross country, most of the people in cross country, they had the experience of having high school cross country. I did not. I was working in high school. I didn't have to have the experience of going in cross country in high school. So I, I kind of got, got uh, wet in it in college. And so the first couple of races we did, we did on the home court. Well, I knew what that was. I knew where the start line was. I knew where the finish line was. I knew all the things about that. But after about three or four races in, we did our first road, road one. And so we were driven on out there. They drove us around, showed us what it was uh, like, where we were going, what we were going to be doing. And we had to remember a lot of this stuff because it's not like road races. They don't quite mark it out for you exactly the same, uh, quite as well as they, they do on the, the road races. They expect you, your runner, to figure it out. I don't know what they, but anyway, you had to figure some of that out. So we're running around on this thing. And um, I remember, I can still remember like it was yesterday. I can't remember all the races I was ever in, but I can remember this one. I remember coming around and seeing that finish line. And I had pushed myself. I was on a, first time I was running a race on a different course. I had pushed myself with everything I had. I saw that finish line. I said, and I saw it off there in the distance. I, I can make it. I know I can make it. Because I'll tell you, when you run on these races, it drains you like you. I had never, never, I can run 10, 20 miles without batting an eye. But these races, they just took everything out of you. You had to pour everything in. It was, a, it was intense. It took a lot. I had to figure out a whole lot how to, how to do it. I just was not quite as, as trained on it. 
But anyway, we got there. And I'm coming up on that finish line. And I see it out there. I can make it. I keep telling myself, I can make it. I can get there. And as I got closer, I noticed that the people that were ahead of me didn't stop. They kept going. Why are they, why are they not stopping? Why aren't they, why are they? That's the finish line. They're still going. I couldn't figure it out. And then all of a sudden, I remembered something. Something they were telling us as we were driving around. When you go through here the first time, they didn't take us on the second part. When you go through here the first time, there's a second loop. That was like a, it was about a six mile run and we were about four miles in. I had to dig down and go get two more miles. And the first thought I I had when I finally remembered that I saw all these people going through, the first thing I I thought of was, it's over. (laughs) There's, there's nothing left. I cannot, <laughs> I can, I cannot do it. And, um, talk myself into it. No, you can just, just keep on going. Just keep, just, just try a few more feet. A few more, uh, <laughs> and just kept trying to lay it on out there and to keep pressing on. And so I kept pressing in and, and kept going and eventually didn't make it around. I do not to this day remember what my time was. I know that there was a lot of people ahead of me. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people behind me, but I think there was more ahead of me than there was behind me. Um, but boy, that was that was something else. But you see, all of us had to run exactly the same thing. And even though I may think it ended here, it didn't. And we all had to finish because the course is set. It is laid out. And what the writer here is telling us is we all have a race. It's set. Don't think that your race is so much harder than someone else's. Don't think that, well, I wish I had their race. There's a race and it is set before us. We're not, some people aren't running a little one mile run while everybody else is running a five or a six. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. In other words, you're running that race. Opposition comes, and you know you do, your your body finds all kinds of opposition when you are running the race. All kinds of reasons to to quit because you're trying to push your body beyond what uh, what you had before. And so it's finding out all kinds of reasons why I should stop. And just as as we're going through the Christian walk, we're constantly being told people are they're giving you too hard of a time. People are disappointing you. People are hurting you. People are not helping you. This is, this is just too much for you to bear. And we begin to think, oh, I just, this race is too hard. It's too hard. And we're not having the endurance. But no, we had to keep going. You got to keep hanging on to that endurance. No, 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 I am not. I am not going to quit. I am going to keep on going. And no matter what it is that people do, no matter what it is that people say, I know who I'm running this race for. And I am not quitting. And I'm not going to give in to the sin that so easily ensnares me because I got discouraged. Because I, because somebody let me down. Don't be doing it. 
lot of times Christians, we like to use the excuse of what other people have or have not done as a reason why we're going to quit. But don't do it. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, sin is not the only weight. Sometimes there's cares and concerns that we pick up. And we got to make sure we lay them down. We can't be carrying them, carrying around. Now, he, he's not relating it here, but you remember that uh, <clears throat> Paul, in some of his epistles, when in 1 Corinthians, we were just reading that as, a, as we were reading together. And he talked about in chapter 7 that a person who's married has concerns about how to keep their spouse happy. If you're unmarried, you don't have that concern. Well, that can be considered a weight, can it? <laughs> if you have children, that can be considered a weight. Now, there are some weights you can't lay aside. Now, if it, I, I was thinking about this when we were reading this. You know, if we were... If, <clears throat> and Paul says, I'm not saying this by the inspiration of God. He says, this is my opinion. Well, if we all had that opinion, then it'd be the world to be raising all the kids. That's not good. Because even in the same chapter, he says that an unbelieving wife is sanctified by the believing husband and vice versa. And that the kids are sanctified by by that. Well, if you've got two unbelieving uh, people in the family, husband and wife, then who's sanctifying the kids? Nobody. So, um, (laughs) I'll talk to Paul about that when we get get to heaven. What he was talking about with that there. Now, I wanted to read this to you out of the Weiss translation. Therefore, also, as for us, having so great a cloud of these who are bearing testimony, the heroes of faith of chapter 11, he puts in there, surrounding, surrounding us, having put off and away from ourselves once for all every encumbrance, and that the sin which so deftly and cleverly places itself in an entangling way around us. Now, that's kind of interesting the way he did that, right? The sin which so deftly and cleverly places itself in an entangling way around us. With patience, let us be running the race lying before us. Young's Literal puts it this way. Therefore, we also, having so great a cloud of witnesses, set around us every weight having put off and the closely besetting sin through endurance, may we, may we run the contest that is set before us. Now, go back over to the King James, New King James Version. Let's just read that one more time. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And again, Weiss puts in the entangling aspect of it. And the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So looking to Jesus. Now we have this great cloud of witnesses, but now he says, all right, you got them in there to to encourage you on, but look to Jesus. He's the author or originator and the finisher of our faith. Now this word here, looking, Unto Jesus, this word looking means to consider attentively. 
to consider attentively. Remember, uh, Abraham did not consider his own body. Well, here it says, consider Jesus. Consider it attentively. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Now, he did it for the joy. He did it for the joy. The joy that was set before him. There was a joy that was set, and he knows it. He knows what's coming after this, but he has to endure the cross to get to it. It doesn't come to him just because he's Jesus. It comes to him because he endures the cross. So he endured the cross. Then it says, despising the shame. Despising the shame. Now it almost sounds like, I, in fact I had to go back and look this up. He endured the cross despising the shame. It sounds like it's present tense. And so knowing what I know about the, the Greek and the tenses, I thought, oh, I wonder if this is one of those funny tenses that has really cool meanings. Well, it's not. It's past tense. I'm not sure why they did it this way. It is a participle, but it's an aorist active in participle. Basically, it means having despised. He already made a decision to despise it. It was already past tense. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, having despised the shame. So he already did it. Before he had ever entered into that, he despised the shame that was there. And there was a lot of shame that was on the cross. The, the cross was done in a, to, to be very shameful for the person who was being crucified. And of course, he was beaten like no other person had been beaten before. And they put the crown of thorns on his head. And they, did a, they beat him with a reed. They did all these different things to him so that they said he was barely recognizable as a man. And when they put him up there on that cross... It isn't quite like it is in the, in the movies. You're up there naked because they wanted you to be shamed all the way. And of course, you all know the, the way that the crucifixion goes. You're hanging up in there. Your lungs begin to fill up with, with uh, fluid and you just slowly begin to suffocate. Your shoulders become dislocated and it's just painful in every way. Every breath that you take is, is painful until finally there's nothing left in you anymore and you can't can't take any more breath and the reason that they would go around they break the legs of them is because you'd push the legs up so that you could get that breath it would it would hurt but that's how you would get the breath and you couldn't hold that position so then you let it back down again and then when you need another breath you push back up and uh oh the 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 amount of pain that he'd gone through and the shame and here it's talking about the shame that was there he saw the pain that was come he saw the shame that would come and it says that past tense, he despised it. Having despised the shame. He embraced the joy. He embraced the joy. Sometimes we have to despise some of the things that the, the enemy wants to pull us into. We've got to get some of, that, some of that despising going on. See, if we despise some of the things that the enemy wants to do, we wouldn't have as many sins that so easily beset us. We wouldn't be pulled into all these these other things because I despise them. Now, that's something that the enemy wants to pull me into. I'm not going to get angry at that. I'm not going to get hurt at that. I'm not going to get bothered by that. Uh-uh. No, I'm going to despise what it is that the enemy wants to do from here. Just, just, just despise it. You know, that's one of those things that you have to, that you have to do. You have to come into a place of, 
of despising things. And we were in, when we were in school, and we were supposed to be eating training meals and things like this. I think I told you before. I uh, I barred all sweets except one time a week I was allowed ice cream. Now nobody put that on me. My coach didn't put that on me. There was no other runners who were doing this. I just decided that sweets and sugars they were not going to help my performance. And so I despised them. I don't now. <laughs> I don't. Dis- but for the time when I was there, I despised cookies, all cookies. Chocolate chip, peanut butter, no matter what kind of cookie it was, I despised them. I mean, inside of me, I despised everything about that cookie. Cakes, I despised cakes. I'd look at that and there would just be a contempt that would rise up on the inside of me. That is awful. And I'm not, I'm not snowing you on this. I would, and, and people at the, at the table I ate at, they knew my decision. I am not eating these things. They knew I despised them. They would try and wave these things in front of me. Don't you feel? And I, and just despising would come up. No. No. And I, I of course I don't anymore. But, um, <laughs> I had, I'd even despise soda. I didn't, I wouldn't take any of it. Couldn't get it in me. No, sir. I'd have regimented. Exactly. It was orange juice in the morning. It was water for lunch. Nothing more beside water because I had to run in the afternoon. And then in the evening, I would let myself have milk. And so it was milk and eat. It was always the same thing. Every, every day was exactly the same. Morning, orange juice. Then water. And then milk. Never mixed it up. And I would despise anything else. You want to get me to drink milk at lunch? I despised it. Despised it. Oh. I heard somebody telling a story. Um, one of my favorite guys, I, one of the guys I like to listen to, he's telling a story that he saw these guys on a trek and um, when the coach wasn't looking they would sneak on off and they'd do some of the running and they would run on down to the donut place and they'd eat milk and donuts and then come on back and they thought they were doing such good I'm thinking and, and he passed it off as if they were some of the better runners and I'm thinking to myself there's absolutely no way there's no way there's not a runner worth his salt that during a workout would be going down there and getting donuts and milk not a single one of them because we all know what that would do and it's not pleasant wouldn't do it. So I'm not sure where that story came from. <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty sure that wasn't there. But you see, you had to despise it. And that's what I had to, had to do to get away from, from eating the, the things. Now, I don't know if they had any bearing on my performance or, of course, I wasn't all the, you know, the, the top guy in the, in any, any of that. But if we can get ourselves to despise these things that so easily ensnare us, these things that the devil holds out, get offended at what's going on here. How is it that they don't see your value and your worth over here? You should be bothered by that. Oh, didn't that person just slight you? Wasn't that a little bit of malice that they had towards you? Aren't they just not respecting you the way that they should? And these things are, are thrown out there. But the Word of God says, in malice be as, be as babes. See, the devil wants to pull you into another, another realm on this. But if you can get to that place where you despise these things that the devil wants to do. Now, if Adam and Eve would have followed into this, they would have despised being around the one tree they weren't supposed to eat. No, I don't want to even be around that. Because being around that, that's just going to get me thinking about about this stuff. Mm -mm, Not going to do that. 
looking unto Jesus, considering attentively Jesus, the one who began and the one who finishes our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So he knew, God had laid it out. Here is what you get if you finish what's going on the cross. This is what you get. You get the pearl of great price. You get the treasure that you would sell everything for. That's what's waiting for you on the other side. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Folks, there is some joy that is set before us, but we're not enduring the things we need to endure to get there. I keep getting snared. I keep getting snagged. I keep getting angry at stupid stuff. I keep speaking things with my mouth that I shouldn't be speaking. I keep saying things and thinking things and doing things that I shouldn't be doing. And I'm not going to have that joy that's waiting for me. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now that endured the cross, that's the exact same word we talked about, exact same one, to be under intense pressure, but making a decision, I am not going to move. This is, I made the decision, I'm going to have the joy, so I am going to endure this cross. Because that's what was before him. Um, the New Century Version put it this way. And this is where you've got to be careful with some of the translations because it reworded it, but it's not really quite there. Let us look only to Jesus, the one who began our faith and who makes it perfect. He suffered death on the cross. Now look at this. But he accepted the shame as if it were nothing. Now see, that's not despising shame, is it? He accepted the shame as if it were nothing. Now he did go through, I don't understand why they, they did this, because the shame came upon him. But he still despised the shame. Now they're looking at it as he took the, the shame and just counted as nothing. And just, that's not quite what was, was going on with, with, um, as I read the, the Greek part of it anyway. The word there, oh, I, didn't get, I didn't read this for you. The word despise is from the Greek word uh, from kata and proneo. The word kata, of course, means, you've, you've heard this a number of times before, it means down. And the word proneo means to think. When the two are comp- compounded or they are combined together, the new word means to think down on something or to despise it. So it could be translated to loathe, to spurn, to detest. Here's a fun one. To abhor. <laughs> it's not the same word we were talking about when it said abhor what is evil. But to have an aversion or to find something revolting or repulsive. That's what the word there despises. Let's go on here, verse, verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So, we may be thinking of the hostility that comes against us from people here on this earth, some of the betrayal, some of the uh, unjust things that people have done, people have said, 
But then think back to Jesus. Think back to the evil that he had. The things they were throwing against him when he's up there on that cross. The things when he was walking through the streets carrying that cross. And the, the insults that they were throwing. And probably even more. I'm sure that some of them picked up things and physically threw them at him. All this, they were going, all these people that he had ministered to healed some of them. Or maybe even healed some of the members of their family. Taught them. How many people were from the feeding of the 4,000 or the feeding of the 5,000 were there along the streets? They saw the miracles. They partook of the miracles. And here they are, cursing Jesus. And Jesus carried that cross. He did it because they needed a Savior. And He endured all that. How can we look at Jesus having endured all this and then take what people do to us and get upset? Well, they made me so angry. Oh, I got so hurt by what they said or what they did. Uh Uh-uh. Go back. Consider Jesus. Consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself. They weren't mad at anyone else. They were mad at Him. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Now think back. Hopefully it's not now. (laughs) But think back to a time when you were discouraged and or weary. Now, if you can think back to one of those times, was it because of what people were doing? Was it because of what people said or what people didn't do that you feel that they should have done? Isn't that generally what gets us discouraged and gets us weary? Is what people have done to us, against us, or didn't help us with? And the enemy comes in and he begins to fan the flame. You should be having this. People should be doing this for you. Well, think back to Jesus. He endured all this hostility from sinners against himself. If we don't consider it, we're going to get to a place where we become weary and discouraged in our own souls. So if this describes me, more than likely I forgot to consider Jesus. And I'm thinking that what I'm going through is pretty heavy. People shouldn't have to go through this. I mean, you heard what so-and-so said about me. We're looking at streets lined with people saying things about Jesus. We're looking at people who lied in testimony against Jesus. We're looking at someone who was beaten because he was innocent. Someone who was led to a cross because Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Hmm. Or we can become weary. We become discouraged. I have this from the Williams translation. All three verses here I'm going to read to you. Put this right here in my, my outline. So thankful my nephew found this online. Only place I can find this online. I can copy right out of there. It's good. Anyway, therefore, as we have so vast a crowd of spectators in the grandstands, let us throw off every impediment 
and the sin that easily entangles our feet and run with endurance the race for which we are entered, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the perfect leader and example of faith, who instead of the joy which lay before him, that's what it said, the perfect leader and example of faith, who instead of the joy which lay before him endured the cross with no regard for its shame and since has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, to keep from growing weary and faint-hearted, just think of the examples set by him who has endured so great opposition aimed at him by sinful men. To keep you from growing weary and faint-hearted, just think of the examples set by him who has endured so great opposition aimed at him by sinful men. (coughs) Well, folks, it's easy. It's all too easy to get our focus on the struggle and the conflict. We focus on the struggle instead of the joy at the end. And whatever kind of race that you're running, if you focus on what you're going through in the race itself, you don't generally tend to finish. You have to think of what goes on at the end. What joy is there waiting for you. When we think, what are we giving up? What sin are we giving up? The sin that so easily ensnares us? What are we really giving up? For the joy that is there. Because if we don't get rid of some of these weights that are on us, we aren't going to be able to complete the race. And if we don't complete the race, we don't get the joy at the end. Jesus had to endure the cross. Once he endured the cross... The joy that was going to be there for him, he would come to. But he had to endure the cross. What is it in our life that's getting us wore out? What is it that's getting us discouraged? You see, the enemy knows what wears us out and what gets us discouraged. And he just finds ways to get that into your life. And when you look at God, God's saying, man, that is nothing. Why in the world are you letting that hold you back? Look at, look at Jesus. Remember Jesus? Look at him over here. Look at what he went through for you on the cross. And you're going to talk about this? Somebody hurt your feelings? Someone didn't recognize something that you did? Are you kidding? Look, look at Jesus. Have you considered Jesus? No, you're considering the things that are going on in your life and how tough it is. Well, consider Jesus. Consider Him. That's what you gotta, that's what you have to go for. That's what you have to press in. See, we focus on ourselves. When I was, when I first went to college, and I knew I was going out for the cross country team. And so um, I'd never run with people. Every bit of running I did was by myself. I ran everywhere. I ran to school. I ran home from school. I ran to work. I ran home from work. And then I'd go out and run. I'd run to church. I'd run home from church. Whatever something was going on, I didn't need a car. I ran there. I was running anywhere from a minimum of about seven or eight miles a day. 
That's the minimum. Maximum 15, 20. Usually for the places. Just to get places. Just to do things. That's just was normal. It's no big deal. You just ran. Then I got to college. And they found out, you know, I got to talk with some of the cross-country guys. This one, one guy, he was a freshman, just like me. But he was recruited by the school. He and his buddy, they were recruited. And so the, uh, his name was Scott. And the buddy's name was Derek. They were good runners. They had run all through high school. They had run competitively. And so um, this one guy, he, Scott, he, he decided, he said, come on, let's go out for a run. And so I went out there and I, and I ran with him. I've never run with anybody in my life. I wish I'd run by myself. He was a good runner. So I ran with him. Man, he could run. <laughs> Holy cow. Everything in me was hurting. And he's just running. He's just going on, just having a good old time. And I'm thinking, is he going through what I'm going through? <laughs> Looking over there. I don't think so. I don't think so. Now see, when we ran in races, he and Derek were at the top. They were at the, they were at the front. He was playing with me. <laughs> He's just stringing me along. I'm, I'm doing everything I can. He probably can tell, man, this guy is hurting right now. <laughs> but he's, he's, uh, he got done and he, he said, I didn't do too bad. But I uh, did not do as well as he did. He was, he was just kind of playing along. But I'm, I'm looking the whole time, I'm considering Scott. He's running this pace. I should be able to run this pace. He is running this pace. I'm considering, that's all I'm considering. Now, say so up until that point, I only considered me. Because I'm running by myself. Now I got somebody else to consider. And so I found out. And I've told this to you, this is truth to you many times. When you run with someone else, you will run faster. And I know the science behind it and I know the reasons behind it. But here's the thing. We don't run this race by ourselves. We have a cloud of people who have gone on before us. And beside that, consider Jesus. Consider what he's done. You don't run this race by yourself. Don't look at just what you're going through. Don't measure yourself up to how good you are compared to yourself. That's, that's not what we're trying to do. Consider Jesus. Here's the guy. How much did what people were saying bother Jesus? How much did it affect him? That's where I got to get to. I got to get to that level. He says, consider Jesus. Jesus, you don't let these things the people say bother you. You don't let, when the disciples disappointed you, you don't let that bother you. It didn't discourage you. It didn't wear you down. I can't let it wear me down either. I need to keep on going. I've got to consider Jesus. I've got to get rid of all these weights, these things I keep getting entangled with. No, I've got to consider Jesus. Jesus didn't get entangled with these things when he ran his race. I got to let these things go. Got to consider Jesus. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus down on this earth. That we have an example in him to consider.
that we want to consider sometimes the hurt. We want to consider sometimes the difficulty, the struggle that we're going through. But no, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to be considering all the things that we're enduring. We're to consider Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who started. He's the one who completes it. He's the one that we look to. I thank you for such a great example. And help us, Father, when we get in those places where we become weary and discouraged to not let people steer us down the wrong way. We need to consider Jesus. We need to get our life to the place that what other people do doesn't cause us to be weary cause us to get discouraged because we're always focused on Jesus on the great cloud of witnesses that went on before and the encouragement we get from them I thank you for it in Jesus name Amen